0: What's up, guys? This is the It Ain't Easy podcast. I'm your host Dom Tarant. Let's get it. All right, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me. Cool. Yeah, good to see
0: you. Um, quick, quick intro there. I think people understand kind of what you're about and a little bit about your background, but they don't know the younger self. So I like to start, um, it's kind of like that elementary Mark. What was Mark like? What were his hobbies? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, what was I about? I mean, yeah, uh, I grew up kind of ski. I grew up skiing, grew up in Montreal, grew up skiing. We're on a ski bus every weekend. So that was pretty, that was pretty great. Uh, Spent most summers at the Rosemary Curling Club, which was like, summertime was just a big open pool. Mom would just drop us off there, and we just swim all day or whatnot. And uh, and then like BMXing, I think like every kid, you know, Yeah. BMXing and uh, eventually skateboarding and stuff like that.
0: Cool. Yeah. And and uh, you know, through that elementary school kind of journey, going through, it sounds like you're playing multiple sports. Uh, at what point did that become
1: like kind of competitive for you? Um, I guess. Actually, soccer was... put Well, no, skiing... Skiing, I was, I was in ski racing. So, like, that was... Uh, actually moved up to the Laurentians. And, you know, again, it was one of those things, like, Mom would just drop me at the ski hill every weekend, you know. And, like, the whole weekend would just be, like, either racing or hanging out. Um, so that was... got I mean, competitive, but not, like, you know, like, super competitive or anything like that. Uh, that was probably the first foray into it, though. Um... And then soccer, like I um, played a lot of soccer as a kid too, and I actually moved to, um, moved to Nova Scotia for three years from, from Quebec, and um, played with like Dartmouth United out there, which was like kind of a good league, Cool, you know? Um, and also a kind of rare, not rare, but uh, I ended up speed skating out there, so I actually speed skated for three years, and I did that competitively, which was uh, kind of a funny... You know, thing to end up in. (laughs) Yeah, but it was fun. Yeah, short track. Yeah, it's
0: always interesting, like interviewing uh, former athletes. I think I have that similar experience where, from like a educational standpoint, not that it came second, but socially, you know, we were sports first. So where other kids were kind of just in the backyards and like dicking around, getting into trouble over the weekends, you're getting Mm -hmm. shipped off all over the place for soccer and skating. You're learning so much in terms of discipline
1: but also like movement skill acquisition all that stuff is pretty cool
0: um, yeah without, without
1: knowing it sometimes too right yeah when I moved back from uh, the Maritimes back to Quebec just was getting into skating and like you know I, I had all this leg strength from speed skating that like I never really clued into but it was mm-hmm. one of the reasons like like long track days you know yeah um, I had like you know I developed some physical capacity that i never really clued in until way later like where that came from but it was like yeah just speed skating is like get your legs in good shape absolutely yeah.
0: and then so moving on to high school um you're still in quebec for that
1: yeah so the trajectory kind of went like uh grew up in the north shore of montreal then moved to laurentians then moved to nova scotia well dartmouth and then and then back to the west island so Kind of my teenage years, like high school years, were in the West Island of Montreal. Cool. What was that like? High school environment like? I mean, good. You know, like yeah. I kind of have pretty good memories. Um, for me, at that point, it was just skateboarding. So cool. it was, you know, uh, I'm trying to think where the flip happened, but um, I got into skateboarding when I was still in Dartmouth. And, um, and yeah, by the time I got back to the West Island, it was like all skateboarding all the time. Mm -hmm. And I had a paper route. So I was up at like 5am, did my paper, did my paper route on my skateboard. Then I came back, got changed, skateboarded to school, you know, skateboarded at lunch, skateboarded after school. Like it was just nonstop. Yeah. And in that,
0: in that space, like with soccer and like even speed skating, it's very formal when it comes to coaching and, Mm -hmm. and learning with skateboarding is that is that different i would assume it's a lot totally just totally different experiential
1: and yeah yeah totally different um it was like the launch ramp days you know we built these like massive ramps and uh, you know as a as a young kid like montreal's got great like you know public transit we'd be like you know we'd wake up early on a saturday and be at like bogey park or like um you know, the bricks in the east side of Montreal. We've been like, skating the big O, you know, middle of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, it was pretty great. Yeah, I do love that about Montreal. It's like, you know, and
0: I think they built it because of how cold it gets in the winter. Yeah. But you can go to every major part of it, or mall, city, and not have to go outside. Yeah. So, yeah, like, access to the whole city via transit, pay your fee, or hop over the thing, whatever it was as a kid, right? And, yeah. You know, it's
1: awesome. Yeah, and then the snowboarding thing was just, like, a natural... You know like grew up skiing then get into skateboarding so it's like i see snowboarding and i'm like oh yeah okay for right. sure i'm doing that you know and um a buddy of mine right from right around the corner at the time sims snowboards were actually made in in quebec yeah so he'd somehow got a sims like prototype from the factory it had like screwed on edges it was a sims 1500 fe and i bought that off him paul Merck, i think his name was and, sure. um, yeah and that board, like, I'm going to age myself here, but that board had three metal fins. <laughs> you know, like, so, like, could back hard pack ice, basically. Yeah. With, like, three fins. Um, so, it took a couple of trips to, like, realize, like, I should probably take those off. Yeah. <laughs> and then that got a little bit better. And, and then, yeah, just uh, kind of went from there.
0: Mm-hmm. Would you say that, like, snowboarding was pretty popular at the time?
1: Like- no, I mean there was you know that that's how like kind of culturally it became pretty tight knit because there were so few people doing it yeah um, so if you saw another snowboarder you were like instantly like alright we got you know we're we're in this thing together yeah it's like, like one 20 in twenty yeah head, I think. oh like, way uh, less than that yeah like there might be one or two on the hill kind of okay thing. yeah yeah and cool. most places they'd, they'd make you take some kind of test and you have to have a leash and all this stuff, but, um, hmm. yeah, like, I, um, I got a Murray Hill bus pass for Christmas one year, and I was, like, so, from, from the West Island, you could hop on this bus, and you could go to the Laurentians, you could go to Tromblon, you could go to Jay Peak, Okay. you could go, um, middle of the week, you could go, like, to Vila, whatever, right, so, um, so I got that thing, and I just milked it, I went, like, every Saturday, every Sunday, every Wednesday, you know, and I was just like, get on the bus. My mom was a gem. She'd wake up at like 4.30, drive me to, to uh, Fairview Mall, get on this bus. And I'd be, in, like you know, I'd wake up in, in, um, in, uh, Jay Peak. Awesome. And, uh, it's, it's surreal. You know, yeah.
0: Um, I've heard people say, like when compared skiing to snowboarding, that like maybe skiing is, uh, easier to learn and more difficult to kind of master, and like snowboarding is way harder to learn but maybe easier to master. What do you, what's your take on that?
1: Uh, yeah, I think the new the new skis are are definitely like pretty much. I think it's easier to learn, yeah. um, but they're both the technology now is so like I mean, there's amazing entry level snowboards that are definitely way like you're not going to catch your edge and all this stuff. You know, yeah. that are easier. So it just depends what you are, what you want to do, mm-hmm. and those like
0: what's kind of like the end capacity of those like entry level snowboards. You can you can't take them certain places.
1: No, I mean they're just they're just gonna be more forgiving. They're a little bit softer, and like you know, you've probably heard of people saying like cut my edge or something, you know. Mm-hmm. And so they just have they, they're just designed in a way where it's way less probable that you're going to catch your edge you know got a bit of rocker on it and the way they it it just eats you know yeah but um yeah i mean both i think both those things helped each other you know like um skiing now if you look at a ski it's basically a small snowboard you know and uh it's gone kind of full circle yeah Uh, the the skiers are amazing too yeah
0: and like you said uh Skateboarding was that natural transition for you where you were a skier before? You looked at, you started skateboarding, you're like, well, I want to do this on the snow now. And this snowboarding is the perfect application of yeah. that. Was there anything like that for skiing?
1: No, you just, I mean, I think you just grow up, I mean, you know, you, you're, I was on skis, I was on cross-country skis in my backyard at like four or something. My yeah. mom would just like funnel me up. Set a track and just like put me on it, and I just yeah. go around around circles. Yeah. But you just kind of grow up, you know. In Canada, you're either on you're on skates or skis, or you know, it's kind of like a natural thing. Yeah. But yeah, the snowboarding thing definitely. Like when I saw that, it was like I didn't even have to think about it. I was like, I'm doing that. You're like that's for sure. Yeah. You know, it was cool. We were kind of on that note, like, what was that moment where you're like, I'm really good at this? So it was a. Uh, Kind of a chain of events. Um, I started, obviously, on the East Coast. The competitive scene there was mainly racing. Um, And had a little bit of freestyle, which, I mean, there were no half pipes. If I showed you photos, you'd laugh. They're just like these little kind of shallow tacos. Yeah. Um, So I kind of came up in that, and I was doing pretty well. And I started really early working... um, Working basically, set up a little skate shop for this guy who was selling boats in Saint Laurent, like the kind of towards the West Island. And then he ended up buying a, a, a store in Laval called EQ the uh, And um, then he had a little, then I helped him open another shop called Cheapskates, it was right near Park Jerry, which was like just all skateboards. And uh, but eventually, I helped manage. There, their um, the EQ Laval and so I was doing all the skateboarding and snowboarding stuff and then we set up like a we had like a race team there working with like this Quebec legend named Ali Ayub and um, so we we set up this kind of like team and training at like the, a hill called Saint-Denis which is on the backside of Tronblanc mm-hmm. and uh, we were literally training with like ex-Polish like ski race coaches who would make us like hiked the course in our hard boots and stuff like that. Wow. And so, yeah. So, the competitive scene was racing. um, And our team did really well. Like, we were, you know, top whatever. You know, I can't exactly remember, but we were winning or, you know, in the top three, most of us. Hmm. Um, And so, that's kind of what, you know, that's what was available out there as far as the scene. Yeah. You know, and then... um, I was uh, I was going to Sejap at John Abbott and uh, I was taking like creative st- creative studies so I was doing like uh, you know video production and uh, you know English related but also doing like poli-sci and different stuff yeah but um and then every weekend I would just fuck off to St. Danuf and the entire weekend and just stay with my super hospitable family name that he says and in an and uh, you know, we'd wake up at 6 a.m., take the snowmobile to the... It was, it was cool. You know, yeah. As far as, like, that experience for the East Coast, it was, like, really cool. So, was cool. yeah. And then um, we'd come down off the hill, we'd sometimes help out. His dad ran a, a restaurant there, so we'd, like, hit the dish pit and, you know, help do some dishes, get a meal, be back at the house. It was pretty great. Pretty yeah. crazy. And so, yeah, like, I did a couple semesters at John Abbott, and a couple things happened that made me think, like, I should just go snowboarding right now, and so that's what I did, I just kind of, I was like, I'm going to go for three months, I'm just going to drive to Wyss, and so uh, it was uh, was a great experience, and I I didn't even empty my locker, I just, like, left one day, like, left all my shit in the locker, and I was like, I'm not going back there. What, What time of year was this? Um, this was, um, this was the fall. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This was the fall. So, well, that's when I left. I left in the fall. But yeah, I I remember leaving. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go out there for three months. So that's what I did. I, um, drove across Canada, got to Whistler, stayed at the Whistler Youth Hostel. By the end of our stay there, we're doing all the janitoring stuff because, we had to pay the rent somehow. Yeah. And um, and then I lucked out and got a job. Uh, this guy, Dan Pendergast gave me a job at the original snowboard shop at the back of Timberline Mall. Cool. So that was like the center of the universe. Yeah. You know, like the original snowboard shop in Calgary was like the first real snowboard shop in North America. And then Whist- the Whistler Annex was like, you know, they kind of all wanted to be in Whistler, but they were still in Calgary. And, I mean, you you know, everyday people from around the world would come in there. You know, it, it was so cool. Yeah. It was this tiny store. It was probably like 12 by 25 or something like that. So okay. And um, so, yeah, I got a job there, which meant that, you know, powder days you didn't even have to open. You know, it was just like a, a given. You know, yeah. 10 centimeter rule. If it's over 10 centimeters, like the, store, out. the store opens like that's cool (laughs) and so that kind of set me up and you know I was able to rent you know basically rent a a small one bedroom and then the snowboard shop ran camps in the summer so like once I got the job there I was like okay I'm going to stay for the winter for sure and then come the summertime, I got invited to be a coach and and like so coaching consisted of basically like digging out the half pipe on the glacier consulting it and then like meeting kids and getting them up the hill and whatever Um, and then you know doing some coaching also when you're up there but you pretty much got to ride and then that that's the first summer that I got some sponsors so then I was like okay maybe I'm not going back out east at all right (laughs)
0: yeah Um, Is is there a sense where you know you're coming from Quebec and correct me if I'm wrong but I think even today most of, like, the best, like, Canadian snowboarders are from out east. Is there a sense of, like, you know, you're dealing with average snow conditions here, and you've been practicing on this forever, and then you get to a place
1: like Whistler, and you're like, this
0: is a walk in the park.
1: Like. Yeah, definitely. From, so, from a racing perspective, on, like, when I got to Whistler, like, I, I won most of the events, and it's exactly that. It's like you're coming off ice, yeah. you know, like, sheer ice. And, um, you're, you know, and you're going on to these courses that are like, you know, I wouldn't say they're flat, but I mean, um, cause the East coast is flat, but given the conditions they, you know, they feel just way more, yeah, just way easier to get an edge and stuff like that. So you're dealing more with like rust and ice and yeah. So it's like, you, there's definitely an advantage there. Um, I think, I mean, some, the best snowboards are from all over the place, but there, there's definitely some. Yeah, you know, if you if you have the the balls to be doing stuff on like a crazy icy pipe in Quebec and you come out west, I mean it's gonna seem easier for you. Absolutely. You know. Yep.
0: Yeah. And then um but the, yeah, like the sponsorship journey. What was that kind of like first
1: process like for you? Yeah, so my first my first real sponsor was um Sims. So I was on Sims Snowboards. And um and then apparel I got some stuff from a small brand out of Colorado called Wave rave. they were like early an earlier brand mm-hmm. and um, so I was on Sims for about two years I think mm-hmm. and you know they had like their main pro team and at the time it was like if you were Canadian it was a little tougher to get rolling you know like yeah. most of the pros ended up being stateside so I was with them for a little bit and then um where I go after that? Um, Division Twenty Three. Yeah. Okay. So they were like a small startup, more like skatey style company out of out of California. Yeah. And never riding for those guys. And got you know, get bored and stuff like that. So yeah. that was cool. And at the
0: time like was there any representation or was it more just kinda of like them approaching you?
1: after a race type deal. Uh, well by that time it was more freestyle. So like yeah, I never got sponsors on the race side. It was all all free riding, but um, gotcha. At the time, like with Sims it was like, you know, they wanted us going to like the World Cup half pipe events. Cool. You know, so it was it was it was pretty cool. We go to like June Mountain or Bachelor or Quebec City or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um and then like in snowboarding in general it kind of cleaved a couple of times it was like okay at first it was competitive and you'd, you'd race and you freestyle and then that cleaved and so you had to pick one or the other Got and like freestyle and then freestyle kind of cleaved again into like you know half pipe and then like free ride and then that kind of went cleaved again into like editorial versus competitive and uh-huh. uh, I went editorial mm-hmm. right so like my career path slowly just went into like, you know, waking up and, and going to do photo shoots with friends and, yep. and you know, get, get tricks, you know, bag, bag sequences and video clips and stuff like that. Cool. Yeah. So, and, and yeah, I've read a little bit about that too. It's like movies, some like, kind of like, uh, yeah.
0: films, snowboarding films, exactly. magazine covers. That's yeah. really cool stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a great time to get there. You know, I think I lucked out with like timing and. putting you know it's like like everyone says the 10,000 hours or I mean you know you at some point you, you put in the time to get pretty good at what you're doing mm-hmm. but the timing was definitely nice and Whistler I mean was not when I first got there I got there in 91 and I mean it, if it snowed you'd have power for like days yeah that's <laughs> not like that now but
0: it's, and it's like uh, you said yeah like timing's everything but yeah. alignment's so key and like you've been kind of breathing that lifestyle since you were like on the half pipe or like these slopes with your mom in the backyard, you know, so it's, yeah, totally, it's definitely those hours, and,
1: yeah. yeah, but yeah, it was a good, uh, really great chapter, you know, really good run, so, cool, uh, and then,
0: yeah, just, like, listening to kind of, like, the business side of things, too, it's, like, in, in Quebec, you were working at different skate shops and helping, like, open and run, learning so much in that space, you come to, um, Whistler, where you're working at, like this kind of very community oriented, like small shop, and you guys are closing at eleven when you know you have rules about the snow. Um, would you say, like, obviously those kind of events led to kind of the creation of your shop up there, like the Circle?
1: Yeah. So yeah. the the Circle came about really because the original snowboard shop closed, and. <clears throat> so yeah the original snowboard shop eventually closed and the only shop that was left um, West Beach had open, was open there but they it wasn't really like the scene you know it wasn't like it didn't have a scene around it and yeah. the only other shop was Showcase which at the time was like a tennis racket store in the summertime yeah. and um, you know I know the guy who ran it forever and he's a cool guy but I mean that the, the initial iteration of Showcase was like soulless like kind of little mini like Worcester Black Home Store at the bottom of Black you know what I mean it was yes. just like nothing and so the yeah crazy. we are just looking at it going like dude like we can't just you know we can't have a tennis store be like our shit up here. <laughs> like that's not that's not good yeah and um at the time I was already I'd already started my distribution company so we were we were importing and distributing like all kinds of skateboard and summer brands for Canada so it was like alright we kind of already have access to some brands like let's just open a shop mm-hmm. so um, yeah we we'll opened that with uh, Kev Young and Anthony Vitali in 97 and it's still open Wow, cool. so that's t- 25 years yeah <laughs> it's crazy
0: that's awesome yeah and um, yeah like what Speaking of the
1: distribution brand, like, when did that kind of come to fruition? So, yeah, that was also, like, <clears throat> just kind of happened organically. Like you said, like, I, I came up and had some skill sets. And you don't always realize this when you're kind of going through it. You know, yeah. like, you don't realize, like, oh, yeah, I know that from there. It just kind of, like, dawns on you. But I came out from the East Coast um, and having... You know, worked in the shops and seen how brands were kind of managed up through the retail process. Like it, there was never really any curation. Like there was never, you know, like distributors would go down to the trade shows, they pick up brands, they bring them up to Canada. Yeah. And the second they started selling, they would just kind of open the floodgates. Like you know, there's no like thought of like, where are we selling this, and what does that mean? Yeah. And what does it mean long term? You know. And they just weren't even really that involved in like the, in the industry or the kind of community or scene mm-hmm. or whatever. So I kind of understood that. And even when I drove across Canada, we actually had a couple of lines with us and like, we we're stopping in all the stores and trying to rep them yeah. on the way to Yeah. But, um, so then my, so my first, uh, bigger apparel sponsor, I mean, they were a small company, but I was kind of, I guess, higher up to Toyota. With special blend, and they were being distributed by this small company out of Quebec. So they just called me one day, and they're like, "Hey, like we need to find a new distributor. Like who should we use up there?" And I, I knew most of them. Yeah. And I knew most of them were not good. And then there was a couple of decent skateboard distributors, but they weren't really. They were never set up for like seasonal pre-book business, or like you mm. know just like they would bring it in buy-off and that one's kind of do yeah so i was just like I'll, I'll distribute it cool you know and then just me and some friends were like well it started as a bigger concept that was going to involve a couple of skateboarders and that didn't work out so um yeah i just kind of moved forward with it and got a couple partners and you know we were working out of my my buddy's garage in north van and we brought up like um we imported all the shorty stuff, uh, yep. pre Muska and during Moscow brought all that stuff up. We brought up. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of what the apparel brand you did was. It's pretty sick. We did like uh, one ball J Wax for like the Cummins Brothers. We did like Blunt Magazine, Big Brother, all kinds of videos, and then special blend was like an anchor brand to the, to what we were doing. Cool. So special blend started blowing up and then they added, uh, uh, four square out of and then Peter line came over, um, to Forum, and they started forum and that blew up. So slowly, but surely like we, we went from like, you know, a small place in North Van to a bigger place in North Van. then I, I ended up moving back to Whistler and by the end of it, um, I think we had like five warehouses in Whistler wow. it just kind of just kept and not that that's massive like the the warehouses in Whistler are not huge so you yeah. end up having to have more of them <laughs> but um, yeah it built up to something really nice and we just kind of kept you know like a really honest dialogue going with all of our dealers as far as like you know they could really depend on us like if we're like this is what, the, what it looks like distribution wise they knew that that's that Was you know the real shit like it wasn't gonna change, yeah. So every time we launched something, they, they you know they, they'd support it, and um, so all those brands did really, really well up here. And we had some awesome athletes too that were you know bringing the visibility and that kind of stuff, yeah. Uh,
0: if someone wanted to replicate a scenario like that, that sounds like you know, like this shoe dog scenario where you walk into a space, there's an opportunity, and maybe like on your end. There might be a sense of lack of preparedness or whatever, but you have the confidence and you have the the know how to just like get done and like the initiative. what kind of like characteristics do you think is necessary for somebody to like kind of replicate
1: that mm-hmm. uh it's a kind of a combination of like uh you know gumption like you you gotta just be like, yeah I'll do that, yeah. You know? And I should like balance that by saying this is not about like blowing smoke. Like you, you know, you should have a you should have a real confidence that you can do it. But then like step to it, and you should do it. Um, all of those things seem fancy, but at the end of the day, it's like it's logistics, it's like planning, it's mm-hmm. um, communication, it's it's relationships, you know. And so, for example, like when we built, we we slowly built the. the four star business across Canada we had like five showrooms Mm -hmm. I didn't hire a single rep with any sales rep experience I hired all snowboarders like good people who were like A good people B respected in the community right and we already had good products so then they're more like you know just like kind of curating that brand experience in each Territory, yeah. right? They're not like heavy sales guys. And almost all of them over the course of the next 10 years, when I'm like rep of the year here or there or whatever. Um, and they did that all themselves, right? Like that was their, I was them bringing what they had to offer to the table. Kind yeah, of deal. cool. So yeah, um, starting out, it's like a, you know, gumption and then, yeah, you need to, you have to execute, right? You got to plan and execute. And, and just be prepared for things to go in different directions, you know. Awesome. Um, and then leading to,
0: like, strike movement. Um, and when, you know, you're, you're on the snowboard for a lot of your, like, athletic career, and then obviously, you know, there's an aspect. Actually, yeah, like, maybe you go that direction in terms of, like, the training and the day-to-day when it comes to pro competition. Uh, how did you have to prepare and like what kinds of things outside of like being on the snow Mm -hmm. do you have to do to kind of prepare
1: for that? Yeah, so, you know, the training involved in snowboarding at the time, like we would basically train to rehab something, right? You blow your shoulder and, you know, you start getting it fixed and then you follow the instructions on how to get your shoulder better. Like Mm -hmm. we weren't hitting the gym enough. Yeah, you know that's for sure and I think that's a lot of sports right like even yeah. hockey and, stuff and, and it's it's matured body. so much now um and I really wish I'd known that and understood that and even some of those seasons like I remember like I had I had rotator cuff issues and his shoulder was like uh you know slumped down like almost an inch right. and so I'd gone into like see about surgery and the guy's like no nah, just you know go in here strengthen all of this stuff so that was the first time I was like okay I'm going to go to the gym, you know, I'm going to yeah. go every other day and I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to do, I actually got into yoga, like right around that same time. Like super early hmm. Um, but then what happened was like, I built like all of this upper body mass. <laughs> and when I get back on the hill and like my mechanics are totally different. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the way I'm moving, I like my center of weight is like changed, you know? So I hadn't even like thought about that or like for that yeah. Um, but yeah the sports just matured so much I mean it, people are training for everything um, and I wish you know that's, that's something I'd say to like an up and coming shredder is uh, you know figure out how to maintain your equipment <laughs> yeah you know which is you yeah Yeah, which is super important so um, yeah uh, I forgot what the question was yeah, like,
0: I think that answers it. It's like, you know, back in the day, there wasn't so, such an emphasis on it. And I think now at the highest level, everybody's kind of keen on it. So it's okay. maintaining your mobility, things like yoga and mm-hmm. off-season training. Um, Diet, huge. Yeah. Um, yeah, so with stride movement, it started with, like, footwear. When, where did you kind of decide there was, like, a need for, like, that
1: kind of athletic brand of shoe? Yeah, so <clears throat> after I moved to the city, uh, um, I'd love to surf more you now. Like, I'm, I'm semi addicted to surfing, which is a frustrating okay. thing when you're. Pacific you Northwest. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, the island's great. Uh, it's cold. Um, yeah. But yeah, I was big in surfing, and then I was also like dealing with, you know, 20 odd years of standing sideways. And like pushing a skateboard you know just asymmetry right mm. so I had a ton of asymmetry and I was super quad dominant mm. and it was like you know creating problems with like my back and just like different things you know yeah so I was like all right I need to get in shape to just like maintain and then also try and fix like some of those imbalances um, Cause yeah, if you think about it on a snowboard, you know, like for me anyways, like pretty much you're on the ball of your feet. Yeah. You know, for whatever it is, six, seven hours a day. <laughs> um. So yeah, super quad dominant and a- asymmetric. Like if you were to look at my back, like that whole right side of my back is like has almost half an inch more muscle than the left side of my back. Wow. Yeah. And it's just like just the way you stand and like the way you know your body is like. So, so that's why I started training and, um, I was really like a so the gym I, I started going to, one of the guys left and they started this new thing called CrossFit. And so I, you know, I dropped in there and checked it out and it was super early days and, you know, when people think CrossFit now, they, they, they picture like, you know, there's a, there's an accompanying kind of aesthetic to it and, like, kind of a, a narrative around it. But I mean, the original CrossFit was like pretty cool, man. And like, yep. all these guys in Northern California training and like cut off dickies and chucks and you know, it, yeah, it was cool. And then from a training perspective, it was amazing. It's just like, you know, I couldn't believe like two to three to four days a week, and you start really just like being like, shit. I, Wow. Okay, I can do it. Like, you know, like being aware of your own capacity and your capacity just getting better and better and better. Yeah. I remember, like, I got I was in road biking for a little bit, and I got back on my road bike after like not being on my bike for like six or eight months, and took it up Cyprus. I'd usually climb Cyprus like a couple times a summer, Mm. and I was just like, like I beat my time up there by like thirty percent. Wow. I was like, how is that possible? I haven't even been on my bike, you know. But just, like, the the way I was just so much stronger and using my body in a way more connected way. Mm-hmm. And um, and then same thing with surfing. Like, I wanted to be in shape for surfing because I'd go on vacations and maybe carve out 10 days, you know? And so if you're not in the water, you're, like, the first few days, you're just getting your arms back on and you feel like you're just getting into it and you got to go home. You yeah. know? So I was like, ah, I want to, like, get in the water and just be, like, in really good shape and you know there's a lot of like uh, Kelly Slater one of his secret weapons is like the guy's amazing workout regimen and, and you know took it real serious and like if there was no swell he was doing this kind of training yeah? yeah so yeah like I go to Hawaii and I'm just like blown away I'm like I could stay in the water for like four hours you know like you'd still paddle to the point of like exhaustion but then you'd recover. like in you know I could just not paddle for 10 seconds and then go again, you know, and it's so, uh, and just catch way more waves and just, so I was like sold. And then on top of what they taught you in CrossFit was how to run properly, Mm. you know, like, so they teach you pose running, this athlete, Brian McKenzie, who we worked with, um, at the beginning of strike, he brought it into the community and he was like a distance runner guy, you know, like hundred miler kind of dude. Yeah. Jeez. But he had flipped the script on training for for distance by doing less mileage and more weightlifting. Gotcha. So he was just like deadlift, deadlift, squat, squat, you know, like get strong. Don't do as much mileage and then when you go hit your your endurance race, it's like you're gonna do it on your capacity, not you know. Yeah. So um It was really interesting, but for me, like, anytime I tried to run in the past, I would always end up just like my lower back, like my knees would hurt, Mm -hmm. my lower back would hurt, and I'd be like, all right, running just isn't for me, right? But what was happening is I'd go to the store, I'd buy a runner, you know, with some big-ass heel on it. Yeah. It would kind of force me into a heel strike, and then I'd be kind of aggressively running or heel striking, and just... Yeah. It just like impacted my body. Anything so,
0: over six minutes, you're gonna feel it. You're
1: yeah, like, so all of a sudden I'm introduced to like this new running form. It doesn't hurt my body. And in conjunction with like that style of training, I was just like part of that training you we were introduced to like pose running and Brian this this athlete Brian McKenzie, who we'd actually worked with strike kinda of early on, had brought that to the CrossFit community. Mm-hmm. And um so all of a sudden you're learning how to run, like using your body is like the suspension, you know, using your ankle, using your legs, like you it just was um, kind of a game changer. So all of a sudden I could run again yeah. and then combined with that just ongoing like physical fitness, it's just feeling great, you know, and um, some of the back issues were, seemed to be like getting solved, you know, like... Mm-hmm. Seems like I'd build strength to a certain point, something would, like, kind of break down or go out. And then once I'd fix that and move on, that problem would be, like, resolved. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, through, through um, that style of running, specifically, you're introduced to, like, minimalist footwear. And so minimalist footwear at the time was kind of picking up, you know? and um so I understood what I wanted out of a shoe, and it wasn 't really available. There was a couple players in the market i mean I wasn 't about to wear like a beroom five finger shoe right and plus like they 're too thin um, there was a, a right after we started developing developing there was a new balance came up with the minimum minimus series, and that was pretty good too um, actually some guys from Pemberton did like the trail shoe for them and um and then there was a there was a couple other brands who either had a really narrow last so like that wasn't really you know it was hitting the mark on like the thickness but not the width so I ended up in a shoe that had a low drop like heel to four foot drop but pretty big stock kind it was like a new balance rt 801 or something and um And so I'm, you know, I'm sitting there, like, I'm trying to find shoes that are going to, like, tick the boxes. And I'm, you know, in a sports store looking at, like, 800 pairs of shoes or whatever, or whatever. And none of them, you know, none of them are kind of doing it. And then on top of that, like, they all have this, like, fishing lure look to them, you know. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe there's, you know, room for something there. You know, so I started thinking about it and in my trajectory through you know my work life I'd done pretty much most things outside of like specifically product development but I had where I had been involved in product development as an athlete was uh, like my whole snowboard career because you're, all the athletes are doing product development right yeah. so like the, whether it's board shaped you know boot design bindings gloves apparel like it, we were doing intrinsic design every day Yeah, you know like the zipper's too short or, you know this needs to be like this we were constantly giving that feedback to the companies mm-hmm. that we worked with so it turns out i had done a lot of kind of design feedback yeah and then having worked on like the sales and marketing end i kind of understood uh, feedback loops there too you know like how that works if like you bring something and then there's feedback from the retailers or whatever and you bring it back to product awesome so um, so I wasn't like deterred by I think the eventual complexity that goes into starting a footwear brand like it's not for the faint of heart yeah <laughs> it, it's uh, but I wasn't initially deterred by that and um, <clears throat> so I found an outfit online that I uh, was doing you know, kind of helping to manage design and production stuff, and I started working with a contractor and we you know, designed some outsoles and then we opened a test mold and tested it and you know we went from there cool yeah that was over the, we were ten years old this year yeah so a decade kind of crazy
0: yeah um, in that sort of journey starting a company from scratch like what are kind of the biggest obstacles that you think everybody faces
1: hmm um the unknown you know like things that you're not you, you you might not know to prepare for you know um the best laid plans make way for the nature of events you know what I mean you can plan all you want but it's like you might not be able to see that that it's going to happen or that's going to happen. Yeah. So you just got to be like tenacious and like plug away. And, you know, as a founder, you, you have to be all, you just have to be all in. Like you just got to keep going. Yeah. You know? So, uh, yeah, that was, I mean, for us our you know, in our set of growing pains was like product interruption. There was a couple different things, but like, first first we set off to be more of a wholesale brand and to be honest we were probably a little early which isn't necessarily a good thing you know but um like at the beginning like the word athleisure hadn't really even been coined and in some ways we were kind of bringing that aesthetic to footwear yeah and so like we did a couple trade shows and like you know we had some amazing responses we got like a japanese distributor we got you know, like all of this activity, but it wasn't, we weren't really selling into stores in, in like the States or Canada yet, gotcha. right at the beginning, yeah. the first couple years. Meanwhile, like e-commerce was just taking off for us. Like we were seeing some success there. Um, anytime we did events, people were like really receptive to the product. Mm-hmm. So we looked at it and we're like, okay, well, it seems like the barrier to our end consumers in, in this model, is actually the retailers because we can't get into the retailers to be in front of the end consumers. So we'll just go more direct, right? And at the time, we, we'd signed like a global, a global license agreement. So we kind of pulled out of that and opened the sh- Gastown shop and became more direct and went to more events. And we grew like you know, over 250% that year. Cool. And then we had to change factories and didn't have any new product for 19 months. Oh, wow. So it was just like, you know, all rockets, full blast. That's and kind of like, that unknown you're speaking Yeah, it's just, you know, that. it's unknown. And, and at the time, you don't necessarily realize it. Like the, the first months, you still have some inventory to sell. But then you're coming back on a year, and it's like, well, you can't, you're not gonna go back to the same events you went to last year with the same, pro, you know, the same product. Right. So kind of like real stick in the spokes, and, and you, you might not see what the impact is for a year or two years mm-hmm. on what's happening right now. So you gotta just keep going, you know? And um, that's kind of what we do.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, when you look at the stores and kind of like the visual merch, Uh, You speak of like the minimalist design of the shoe and I I kind of feel that in the vibe of the store too. It's so community oriented and the product is, it's obviously there and you can see it, but you can also see through it and you can see kind of like the whole store. Mm -hmm. Um, Is that kind of like intentional and is the same kind of minimalist design applying to like the apparel as well?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm glad you could see that. I mean, I think that there's our, you know, our underlying theme you know, when we set out on the footwear, it was like, okay, we're going to make footwear that's, like, true to specific design principles. Like, that it works. Yeah. And we're going to do away with um, any false technologies. Right? Okay. Like, when you start understanding minimalist footwear and principles, you realize that, like, you know, shocks, springs, right. this, that, it's just, Gimmicky. It's just gimmicks, right? Yeah. And, and the industry as a whole has learned how to sell footwear off. And like some feature, you know, so they're always chasing this feature. Like this is this season's whatever. Yeah, most of it's garbage, right? So when you kind of free yourself of that, you're like, okay, I can simplify this and Mm -hmm. keep simplifying. And you know, in design, I think that's a good. It's always a good kind of practice. And then yeah, same thing with with apparel. Like we wanted the brand to be. The reason we we wanted to have apparel is we wanted it to be like an athletics brand, yeah. You know, and and if you spend too long just doing footwear, your kind of footwear brand, it's it's harder to kind of tell the story, the other story. Yeah, that's my thinking, anyways. Um, and that's the same thing with the the apparel. We try to just make it. You know, like the cuts are really nice, the fabrics are really nice. We spec all the fabrics ourselves. You know, you know, not like an off the shelf company and go to all the materials shows. So we, we, you know, we maintain a real um, hand in that. Um, and we actually did all of our, we, we did all of our production domestically for as long as we could, for over eight years here in Canada, which, which is really hands-on, you know, but it makes you kind of really, it keeps you really involved in the process and the design and, and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know if you've had a pair of key shorts, but they're like, Yep. they're awesome yeah. cool. <laughs> it's like living them all summer like, you do everything run you know, swim so, like yep. you name it right so that's what we're trying to do and and you know the industry is in a place right now where there's just a lot out there and that that cleaner kind of athleisure aesthetic has definitely caught up and become like a pretty mainstream thing so we're always looking for like okay well what's relevant now you know what from a design perspective like how are we going to stay true to what we're doing, but also bring something a little different Some mm-hmm. units. And to your point about the store, you know, when we had that opportunity to kind of redefine the brand, we wanted to show people what it could look like, you know, like in one place. Yeah. And then the idea behind the space was always to just be like a center for the, for the brand in mm-hmm. Vancouver, which is why we had like, we had Vancouver's First Paleo Cafe in there, and you mm-hmm. know, it was like, the idea was just coming in and, and hang out, even if you're not going to buy anything. That's cool. Yep. Yeah. You know? And, uh, yeah, if, if, if anything, like, I wish we had been more successful at, at just being able to spend the time on that community stuff, you yeah. know? But, you know, you just get pulled into different parts of the business. And, Absolutely. Yeah. And over time, like, you said, this is a
0: 10-year anniversary you guys have a long way to go and Mm -hmm. uh, I I wish the best for, like, all the future
1: success. Thank you, Dom. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, going you do a little bit
0: of a closing kind of thing for us? Like, I have a couple questions that I ask everybody. The first being, um, some people find this a little weird, but it's like, if you're at your, if I'm at your house, what would I find in there that you wouldn't find at other people's? Uh...
1: I don't know, you I mean you find find a bunch of art I and mean, there's yeah. definitely art in different people songs, but um uh, you'd find a ton of instruments. Okay. So, yeah, like definitely. I play bass and guitar and piano and wow. different stuff. I'm not very good at any of it, but, yeah. <laughs> but I try and play it all. Yes, boy, and awesome. uh so you'd find that. Uh what else? Yeah, I mean the you know it's pretty pared down just like most of, from an aesthetic perspective it's yep. kind of modern it's pared down cool yeah
0: um the, the next one is uh, if you were to live in, inside any movie uh, what would it be or which one would it be and why
1: shit uh I don't know man that's a tough one it's tough so many options yeah uh one of my favorite movies was Dune, so watching the remake has been cool. Mm-hmm. Um, See, I haven't seen the original. I've heard the yeah, ones, I mean people people bag on the David Lynch version, but it's it's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. You gotta kind of watch it through the lens of like theater, not movie, you know, kind the special effects and different stuff. Right. Um, I actually just read the book, which I had never actually read the book before, so that was kind of cool. Fills in some pieces. But I wouldn't want to live on a So, right. All the <laughs> so I don't know, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's a tough. I'm gonna have to think about that. That's
0: fair. Yeah. yeah. I'll check in on you in a couple of weeks, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just in in closing, like if you had a message to kind of like your younger self, like what would it be? Mm-hmm.
1: Um. Just, like, you know, maybe, like, take your time a little bit, you know. Like, when you're... I remember being semi-depressed turning 20. Because I was like, man, I'm not a teenager. I'm getting old. (laughs) You know, like, I was 20. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, you don't even... Your brain's not even finished developing until you're 25. Like, give yourself time, you know. Don't be in too big a rush. Um... Let yourself, you know, like, for me in particular, like, I never saw, for some reason, I never set my, like my goal in snowboarding, it was literally like, I'd be stoked if I could pay rent, mm. right? And then it was something else, but it was never like, I never saw it as, as like a long-term thing. Yeah. And that was probably a mistake, because I probably could have just milked it and like been snowboarding for an extra, you know what I mean? Yeah but um, and maybe that's just being like my generation and having a bit of entrepreneurship but like I was always doing something on the side you know yeah. like building something on the side and and um, you need the time to like invest into whatever it is you want to be doing and kind of give yourself the opportunity to do that you know and um, I have uh, this guy we work with in out of Venice, California, Logan Gelbrick, he's, he's got a pretty cool book, but he talks about that. He's like, you know, if you really dedicate yourself to anything in particular and you like really dedicate yourself, even if that doesn't pan out, you can take those, those skills are transferable. Yeah. Right? So like you dedicate, like for you, your dedication to football and like the way you understand how to train for what you want to get out of it and like, You're going to take that, you're already doing it, and you're going to bring that to other aspects of your life, right? Absolutely. So that would be the advice. It's just, you know, pursue something you are really passionate about. Yeah. Give yourself the, like, you know, the ability to just focus on that. Like, don't worry about it too much. Like, take time. Knowing that, you know, if you give it your all, you'll be able to pull that skill set over somewhere else. And there's always something else. Yeah, you know, there's always another door there.
0: Yeah. So No, it's awesome. Yeah. There's so much inspiration in this like hour kind of segment cool. here. So thank you so much for coming on. So many bars and I hope to, you know, yeah. stay in touch. All the best wishes for Strike and Aspect. And thanks Tom. Yeah, and yeah, thanks for having as well. Me.